Welcome to The Blender. Jason Brennan, Dave Meltzer, thank you for listening to The Blender, and uh, thank you for listening to The Playbook. We have seen quite a few of you add that to your weekly listen routine, and we hope that you continue to do so as we add new stuff for The Blender and The Playbook in 2019. So, Dave, we are uh, wrapping up the year, and my fantasy football team was wrapped up last week. You know which play screwed me? If I was going to pick one play of the entire weekend. Dolphins, for sure. I got, I mean, you know, it's fantasy football. I, I'm sure there's people out there who suffered worse than I did, but I lost by six points. The guy started Ryan Tannehill, a guy that I had on my bench all year and dumped, and he gets like an 85 yard touchdown. And, and to top it off, a five yard I was pass. also starting the Patriots defense. Oh, so no. totally screwed on that play. Yeah, I, that is, that's amazing. It's so funny the ripple effects of things that occur and why they occur and how they occur and the decisions that are made and who's accountable from that. And I think when it takes extraordinary circumstances like a play against Bill Belichick that should have easily been defended, but he outthought himself, uh, it's just amazing how uh, our system has a ripple effect where I can sit here now days later and you tell me he ruined your fantasy season. (laughs) I was cruising. Uh, But, you know, I want to get into that later in the show, the ripple effect of things and and how – your actions may support other things happening. And because uh, we talk about that sort of stuff a lot, right? Um, but fantasy football, I'll keep myself out of it for now. I want to bring up later to playing to not lose because that wasn't in Bill Belichick's uh, playbook. And all of a sudden, he plays not to lose for the first time. And wow. All right. We will get to that in just one moment. Uh, I want to kind of highlight where you're going to be coming up. Uh, CES in Las Vegas, 50 for 50 event. Uh, a lot of people have donated this year. You can still donate. Text 50 for 50 to 555-888. That makes a donation to the Unstoppable Foundation. You raised well over a million dollars in 2018. It looks like it'll spill over into 2019. Great job there. Yeah, we're having the last, and you're going to be invited, but it's a minimum $5,000 donation. The first 30 people, the who's who are going to be I'm so there. lucky I was invited. Well, you're invited. <laughs> you're too cheap to come. You, he, only guy I know that'll brag about the millions of dollars that he's making right across hey, from me. Hey, and, hey. Then, and then, and then oh, no, I, can't, I can't afford to give to charity. Oh, God. We've only talked about that every week. Go ahead. Sorry. All right. We get back more <laughs> Blender. Welcome back to The Blender. Jason Brennan, Dave Meltzer. I made a quick donation on the break. You can, Thank too. You. Text 5450 to 555-888 in order to donate to the Unstoppable Foundation and uh, cool stuff there. You can check out unstoppablefoundation.org. Uh, before we went to break, Dave, we talked a little bit about my fantasy woes and how now I have to watch the final couple of weeks of the NFL season and act like I care about a team, which... Uh, uh, maybe I'll root for your Chargers for a couple of weeks. But uh, you brought up a good point. Bill Belichick uh, and the Patriots appeared to play not to lose, right? Which is very different than playing to win. And we, and we see here, like, the prevent defense is preventing to win sometimes. Uh, and uh, what were your thoughts on the way that game ended? Well, you know, football will never surprise me. But it was, you know, I just, the, for the greatest mind ever in the NFL as far as coaches go. And I'm giving Bill Belichick that, in my opinion. he Nobody works more consistently and persistently, gives up his entire life to be a student of the game and understand. It was beyond me, you know, on a 79-yard play, why you would play for the Hail Mary as if somehow the ball was going to get anywhere past the 10-yard line. And then why you wouldn't put in people that all run, the fastest people that all run to the ball because that's the only way they would score. And instead, you put Gronk in, who would be great for a goal line tip 
you know, on a Hail Mary. Those are the guys you want in there. Big, strong, just knock the ball down, guys, 99% of the time. But that touchdown was scored because he had two players on the, on the field that couldn't run. Like, it, to, to the capacity of a running back to chase him down. And all you needed to do was put two safeties in there and put them at the 10-yard line and – Literally, they don't score that touchdown because they will make sure he's out. Those are very short yards between the 20 and the goal line. So if you have two of the fastest players on your team that are used to tackling like three safeties, the chances of anyone, whether they break away, catch a Hail Mary on the 20, are almost zero. But yet Bill Belichick outthought himself, played not to lose, and ended up giving away a game that really could make a difference. Home field advantages, playoff hopes, etc. It really could. Before that play, the Patriots were a 99% lock to get the number one seed going through the AFC. Now that percentage has dropped considerably to where it doesn't look like they will get that spot now, and including teams like your Chargers and people who, who might run them down. So and overall, probably not too disappointed by it, I would think, no. uh, based on well, the I Chargers. I the Chiefs would have lost in, in overtime, right? I, if the Chiefs would have lost this tomorrow, you know, Thursday's game would have been so interesting. <laughs> Well, um, the the Chargers and the Rams now seem to be on a collision course for we, – we kind of gave the Rams L.A. a couple of months ago, right? Yeah. Especially after that Chiefs game, uh, the way the city was electrified by it. Uh, but you're starting to see some of the Charger fans that maybe had dismissed them in, when they left San Diego because if you don't live out here, you don't realize a lot of Orange County uh, in central – kind of right between L.A. and San Diego, if you don't know where it is geographically, uh, were Charger fans for a long period of time. And then when they moved for some reason to L.A., those same fans said, screw the Chargers, at least for a period of time. Now, they play in a uh, stadium that seats very few people, and that's a problem. However, you're starting to see the Orange County fans come back. Maybe the San Diego fans are next. I doubt it. I, to be quite honest, I mean, I'm down there a lot. You know, we still own a home down there, and I'm on the, the radio and TV shows down there. And there is such a bitterness towards, and there's such a distance between San Diego and L.A., uh, I also think that part of the reason you feel a momentum is that the team that they played last week didn't travel well, right? But when the Chiefs come to town, when Pittsburgh comes to town, when, when big Minnesota, teams that travel really well, New England, Dallas comes to town, that whole stadium's filled with their fans. Even San Francisco. I went to the San Francisco game. There was 2,000 Charger fans. I don't see it happening. I think they're in big trouble even if they win. And I'm a huge Charger fan. I've forgiven everyone because I understand the business of sports. I don't think they're going to recover. Even if they won the Super Bowl, I think when that new stadium is built, those ticket sales are still not there. All right, so let's let's talk about that a little bit because you know they're going to move from 30,000 uh, 26,000. 26,000 people, sorry to round up, yeah. to you know 75,000 or somewhere in that range. And, and that... The NFL and the Chargers have already identified that uh, this may have not have been a good move. This could be a problem. Um, I always thought, like, I know your favorite baseball player is Tony Gwynn, right? Yes, yep. Had Tony Gwynn been traded to the Angels, would you have rooted for him? Yeah, of course. So how is it different that the team moves 45 miles up the freeway or 100 miles up the freeway, whatever it is? And I know there's that L.A. San Diego thing, and the Raiders maybe even have a play in this whole thing. No, it's the betrayal. You know, it, it, it's a betrayal to the San Diego fans. They went through so many iterations of how to get a stadium and to keep the team in San Diego. And the way that the, the situation manipulated the voters and made it seem as if the fans didn't want the Chargers. No, remember, there's a few million people in San Diego. 
not all of them, especially in San Diego, are football fans, right? So, but we're only addressing the football fans. It goes to fr- finding your frequency. So, let's say out of the three million, even five hundred thousand were were serious Charger fans. That leaves two point five million on the ballot that don't want to spend their tax dollars on a new stadium because they like to surf. They, right, it's San Diego. They like to go to the zoo. They they go to Balboa Park. There's so many cool things to do in San Diego. So you're dealing with 500,000 people that you're drawing to Los Angeles, and you they feel completely betrayed about 450,000 of them. Well, and that's a big problem. And, and we've seen the business of sports, right? We talk about that maybe more than the sports on the field. The amount of uh, money that's supposed to come into the Hollywood Park area because of, as a result of the Rams and the Chargers moving there. Steve Ballmer's moving his his basketball stadium there. There's hotels. There's houses. That's really the collateral damage of the of the Chargers leaving San Diego is you didn't get the opportunity to build a L.A. Live type of uh, area around the San Diego Chargers, which a lot of people in the city would have appreciated, regardless of whether they were football fans or not. Yeah, the Spanos has made a very good business decision. Right, they didn't want to make the investment over the last twenty years to build a fan base from L.A. to Orange County to San Diego to Corona, San Bernardino, even as far as Santa Barbara. They basically could have owned the entire market from San Francisco down, and they didn't put the investment in marketing dollars to do so. So, what did they do? They don't have to spend any of their money on a new stadium. They get to lease something that they always can go back to San Diego for after being bagged in the heroes, et cetera. They could sell the team for twice as much as it was worth at any time and put their great, 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 great grandchildren in financial security. So, I mean, as a I'm a Charger fan, and yes, I feel betrayed, but as a sports business person especially, bravo to the Spanoses. You bought the team from Gene Klein, your father who passed this year, you know, did a great job of building wealth for your family through owning something that makes a lot of money, helps a lot of people. And believe me, if I had the money, I'd have a lot of fun with it. And but yet my eight year old son says, why are the Spanos is so cheap? Why won't they build the stadium? They're smart, not cheap. So I was a little older when the Rams left uh, L.A. and they, they moved to St. Louis. And I said, screw the Rams. I'm not rooting <laughs> for them anymore. Uh, how is Miles, uh, your eight-year-old, how's he handling it? Oh, he's. I gave him a choice when they moved. Do you want to switch teams? Go to the Seahawks with Uncle Warren. You know, I gave him all the choices, and he wanted to stick to his Chargers. He's a huge Phillip Rivers fan uh, and a huge Chargers fan. Doesn't know enough about business, and he didn't live in – he was born in Orange County. He just loved the Chargers because his dad loves them. Uh, and now, to me, it's one of the greatest parts of, of being a father is he's old enough to sit and enjoy and go crazy during the whole game. I, that Pittsburgh game, I, I told someone I got to do extraordinary things the week of the Pittsburgh game, you know, including, you know, had meetings with Mark Wahlberg's guys and, and Sugar Ray Leonard and you know, the guy from Sports Science, John Brankis, all these killer things. My favorite thing that I've done this whole month is sit during that Pittsburgh game with my eight-year-old on the couch and experience why people love football. Watching him running around, screaming, you know, talking trash, hanging, you know, uh, you know, biting his nails with me and hugging me, you know, and then celebrating with me at the end. That, to me, is what being a father is all about and what the NFL is all about. That was the best time I've had. Well, it's a nice commercial right there for the, uh, for the Chargers <laughs> and the NFL. Uh, we thought the Major League Baseball should be doing something uh, similar to that. Um, all right, when we get back, and we're going we're gonna to cover a lot of stuff today before we uh, play a little bit of episode of the playbook here for you today. And um, 
Who do you have this week? You have uh, Tim Brown. Tim Brown. Notre Dame's in the national uh, playoff, and Tim Brown, probably one of the greatest Irishmen ever to live, and also a great philanthropist and spiritual leader. He's an amazing guy with a lot of faith. All right, well, we'll get to that. Uh, one more segment before we get to the playbook segment with Tim Brown, one of my favorite Raiders of all time, and uh, fighting Irish, Notre Dame. Uh, we will get to that in a few. Jason Brennan, Dave Meltzer, more in a few. Welcome back to The Blender. Jason Brennan, Dave Meltzer. You can follow Dave on Twitter at David Meltzer. I'm at Jason M. Brennan, also on Instagram at the same handles. So we appreciate those follows and the comments if you have anything. Uh, and as I said last week, Dave, you do, you're doing a phenomenal job. It must be all the plane flights where you just sit and, and ping people back. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Uh, I want to get to There's a lot of, lot of stuff going on this week. Uh, the Major League Baseball winter meetings and Bryce Harper's, uh, you know, where is he going to end up is, has been a big topic. But uh, I, I saw this note, and you're now in the esports business, yes, right? Yes, sir. And how's that going? I'm not going to brag like you back about your business, but yes, it's going very well. We just got I did acquired. That Delaware I did North. Delaware, yeah, yeah. Delaware North uh, acquired our team, and uh, we're doing very, very well. We just got. I believe fourth place in Call of Duty in the world, uh, which is another game that we're doing very well. League of Legends, Call of Duty, you know, it's uh, um, Halo. So Splice is killing it, and I think it'll be one of the top teams in the world. It's already one of the top four, uh, but will be as it continues to grow. And Meta World Peace and I are extremely happy about our investment. One of my favorite players. Uh, I, I, he had, and, and have you ever talked to him about his? I know he's been on the, he's been on the playbook, yeah. but. I mean, did you, you get him off camera a little bit and talk to him about he had the moment at the palace, right, where things hit bottom for him. Uh, he also did, he didn't choke his coach. That was Latrell Sprewell. I was yeah, trying yeah, to remember. No, 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 no. He had enough problems at the palace, but uh, the malice at the palace. But he, it's, he's a different person now. Totally. He's a, Mike Tyson and him have changed the most of anyone as I've kind of towards the, the positive, like the maturation and intelligence and enlightenment. Uh, you know, a lot of the anger is gone. Um, you know, Mike and him, I was blessed to have dinner with Mike in Vegas, and he, he was really funny because I go, do you think, you know, you could fight ever again? You know, he's like, not a chance. I, you know, I've lost it all. Like, just the desire, uh, just like uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, who's not only a good friend, but just a super mentor to me. Like, I love the fact that Sugar Ray Leonard didn't ever walk into a ring trying to hurt anyone. Like, he doesn't like to, to hurt people, but he loves to win which is a very interesting conflict for a boxer that I really want to win more than anyone, but I don't want to hurt anyone when I do it. <laughs> that is interesting. Uh, Mike Tyson said, I'd like to kill you. Yeah, definitely not the same as Mike Tyson. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, Ninja, who we talk about a lot, right? Yeah. Uh, we have because of your uh, involvement in esports and because we both have kids that uh, play him. way too much Fortnite. We'd rather have his autograph than anyone's. Uh, he revealed he played about 3,800 hours of Fortnite in 2018. Um, so the average American works about 34 and a half hours a week, while Ninja is putting in about 80 hours a week, over double the national average. And uh, he said that he quit screaming for, streaming for 48 hours and he lost 40,000 subscribers. And uh, that consistency that you talk about all the time it really shows here where uh, if you're going to build yourself, especially in this market that you work to build yourself in and, and it leads to other opportunities for you, you have to be consistent at it. Yeah, it's a, it's a big investment. And I always joke around to young people when we talk about ours. Lawyers are the best at it. I had so many friends that thought they made so much money out of law school. And I said, you don't make 150 grand, buddy. You work three jobs. You make 50 grand. 
and I can give you three jobs that'll pay you more. So put your ego into check and figure out what you're being paid for. I think Ninja is one of the most underpaid entertainers slash athletes for, for the size of the audience that he carries, for the amount uh, you know, of leadership and winning that he has. Like if you're a boxer, which has a smaller audience than esports, if you're Mayweather, think about the money you pull down for, for one time streaming what you do, right? One time. Mm -hmm. This guy has to stay online 80 hours a week just to carry his audience, and he's paid $5 million in a year. Yeah, so let's, let's get to that. Let's get to the numbers of it. Uh, $5 million a year, approximately, $500,000 per month. He needs me as an agent, Twitch. by the way. I'll make um, that fifty. He makes about three fifty for each one of his subscribers, four ninety nine per month. Uh, the subscribers pay four ninety nine per month to, tw to Twitch. Um, and he gets about three fifty of it, so not bad there, right? So at least he's making money there. But you start doing the math of that: five hundred thousand dollars for, let's just say, three hundred and twenty hours of content uh, in a course of a month, right? It's a lot of, it's a lot of work. Guys make more with commercials, <laughs> you know. And when you talk about per hour, what you're making, he's not making a lot, you know. He's really not. I mean, he's making what like. I, I hate to say it, what probably a practice squad player makes in the NFL for the amount of time that he's putting in. Those guys sit around a lot, right? And when you do the math, really, you know, anyone out there, I, I appreciate who's helping Ninja right now, but you need some situational knowledge, some experience. Give me a call, right? I mean, the, this is guys, you know, r running Lee Steinberg and working at Sports One Marketing. I know how to monetize what he's doing in a much more profitable way, which will allow him to help more people. But right now he has golden handcuffs and it's a terrible thing as an entrepreneur to be cuffed. And, and what's worse is everybody knows it now because as he lost, you know, for not playing, it, it's a really negative thing. I can turn that around for him. Well, you look at the number of forty thousand at three fifty, right? Because that's what he lost, based basically for taking week. a weekend off, yeah. right? Weekend, right? You know, so a couple of days off, and uh, it, it's amazing that I first thing I look at it, and I say he makes a lot of money for playing a video game, right? But then you look at it and say, and, and I think you turned me around here, twelve and a half million followers. Um, there's not a there's not a baseball team that gets 12 and a half million watches on a, on a daily basis. There's not a professional football team outside of the Super Bowl where that sort of attention is given. But we have, you have an eight year old, I have a 13 year old, uh, which probably wouldn't see eye to eye on almost anything else. They would sit there and watch the same video together. And so would 18 year olds and 16 year olds and kids that speak Spanish as their first language, kids that speak Chinese as their first language. He, it's, it's really pretty an amazing run that he's on right now. He's the most underutilized influencer in America. That I, I can't keep saying it. Like, literally, the most under you. He has such poor management and poor advice around him. There hasn't been that bad of advice since Maverick decided to do the, the decision for, for, for LeBron James. You know, sometimes you got to go to people that know what they're doing, and you should be making $50 million, Ninja, if you're listening. All right. Well, uh, you want to throw out the phone number? That's it. He's, he's Google gonna... me. It's easy to find. All right. <laughs> David not, Meltzer. Not the wrestling guy. Yeah, all not right. the wrestling guy. The money-making machine, That Dave guy Meltzer. gets all these follows every week, and people saying, hey, I, I love what you're doing with I the love blender, the and <laughs> I love what you're doing with the playbook. And uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, good. That's okay. My niece, I, you know, playbook's on TV, and she's working out, and she posts, and she has a pretty big following, and she posts, that's my cousin Dave Meltzer. 
on elevator pitch. I mean, it's the playbook. I'm sitting there with Ryan Surhan. I'm like, oh, God. Nobody can get this stuff right, but followers are followers. All right. A couple other things. Uh, Kyler Murray from Oklahoma won the Heisman uh, and uh, second straight Oklahoma player to do it, second straight Oklahoma quarterback, seventh Heisman winner in Oklahoma history. Uh, But he's also got this little issue that Major League Baseball wants him and the Oakland A's have drafted him. They sent out a tweet and uh, Instagram post afterwards congratulating him. Uh, If you were his agent and you've spent time as Lee Steinberg's CEO and you've spent a lot of time in this world, baseball or football? Uh, baseball, take the four million guaranteed right now. Build your baseball career. From what I hear, as much as he's the best football player in the NCAA, according to the Heisman Award, uh, he's even a better baseball player. And the longevity, the surety, uh, what he does in baseball is going to transfer over. There's very little besides injury, which is le- <clears throat> less uh, of a chance in baseball. Uh, that would be the only thing that's going to stop this kid uh, from being a superstar in MLB. Well, he was number one on 92% of the Heisman ballots. That doesn't always translate to being a great professional football player, Charlie especially. Ward. <laughs> it, you know, Charlie Ward, Tim better career Tebow. in the NBA. Uh, Tim Tebow may Nelson. make a Major League Baseball team at this point. Uh, yeah. At least he is. he still has that opportunity to him. And uh, Kyler Murray, uh, fantastic football season at Oklahoma. But we'll see where he goes on from here uh in the playoffs uh the college football playoffs coming up alabama clemson notre dame and oklahoma you're gonna have tim brown on a little bit later and we'll uh, we'll hear from the notre dame side of things uh, there's some big money in it obviously um how does notre dame uh play differently because they're an independent in this they're the worst team maybe to ever have made the national championship series and i'm glad they did because i don't want ohio state to go into that game and lose. I'd rather them go into the Rose Bowl and win and Urban Meyer come out you know, with the Rose Bowl champions, one loss, everybody's saying they should be in. The worst part is to be outclassed and they're gonna be outclassed. And it's gonna raise a lot of conversations about teams that play in the Pac-12 and the Big 10, you know, that play every week, dangerous teams. You know, instead of being able to prepare three weeks out for your big game. And that's why some of these teams don't do well is because they can't prepare the way that, that they, they have. And they don't have the talent. And I, I, I'm going heavy on whoever's playing Notre Dame. And if they actually win, I, I will be, it'll be the biggest upset I've seen. Well, I don't like know. Buster you, Douglas's anniversary. That, that was a new 30 for 30 out on that, I'm sure. Did you talk to Mike Tyson about that, by the way? I did. I did. I, I was questioning Don King's uh, uh, integrity in, in the 42 to 1 odds and what had happened and how they prepared Mike Tyson for that fight. Ouch. Ow. I'm wow. not a big, I'm not a big uh, Don King fan. Um, you're not on a short list there from, what, from people I know that have met him. Uh, so uh, back to Notre Dame. Uh, you know, they're the only team that could pocket $6 million if they were able to uh, win their semifinal and win the national championship. Uh, the rest of the teams have to split with their with their it, conference, right? Yeah. And Notre Dame, because they're an independent, they get to keep all the money. Uh, already have an NBC deal that's worth a ton of cash. Um they seem to be doing things well on the financial side up there. At and Notre great Dame. brand, look, a great brand. They strategically, you know, place their schedule the way they do, and they're a good team, right? Ohio State is a very good team. Washington's a very good team. Ohio State, in effect, could probably beat anybody on any given Saturday, but the problem is they're not as good as Clemson, and they're not as good as Alabama, and I don't think they're as good as Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be Alabama again. Unfor- you know, it's it's we, you never know, right? You know, we, we keep hearing the uh, 
the Patriot Invitational in January. Well, Nick Saban seems to be doing the same the Alabama thing. Invitational. Late December, early uh, early January. So, you know, we'll watch it for sure. All right, when we get back, uh, we are going to play a segment from the playbook, and it's Tim Brown, uh, former Heisman winner. He sold it recently for four hundred and thirty-five grand, known as Mr. Raider. Uh, coming up next, here's the playbook. This is Dave Meltzer, CEO of Sports One Marketing with Entrepreneur, the playbook, and talk about playbooks and playmakers. I have one of the greatest playmakers of all time and an incredible story. You and I share so much on the inside. I wish I shared more of what you have on the outside. <laughs> I, I dreamed of being a Hall of Famer. But Tim Brown, Hall Thank of you. Fame. Good to be here. Oakland Raider, which kind of breaks my heart because you see my Philip Rivers jersey <laughs> up there. Yeah, it's sort of like hurting my, my left side of my face here. But but we'll I, I, I got to tell you this about the Raiders. We'll start here because obviously growing up in San Diego, it's tough uh, – to, to have Raiders on my show and to be a fan. But now that they've moved and the Raiders are in uh, Vegas, I actually feel like this open heart. Vance Mueller and I played college football together. Wow, okay. So that was my first kind of slip, yeah, yeah, should, yeah, slip to the Raiders. That out. Right, okay. um, but I, I'm, I'm swaying. I told my wife, I said, I, I don't know how this is happening, but I want to go to, when they open that stadium, I want to go to a few games and I might go, I talk about the spirit of excellence. I might move over to the commitment to excellence. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, it's just going to be such an incredible uh, um, atmosphere up there, you know. When when you go to Vegas now, I've been to Vegas several times this year for different events. The so Raiders are having all their community events in Vegas right now. Already, they, they're, they're not doing anything in Oakland anymore. And um, the city has just already um, embraced the silver and black man. It's really incredible what's happening. It was it was going so well they had to stop ticket sales. Wow. You and I share something in common as well. When I say on the inside, is we're both faith based people. And I think a lot of that come. You seem like you're a mama's boy, like me. Is, is that true? No doubt, no doubt about it. And Absolutely. Tell me. I mean, your career was really interesting. As I look back, I, I knew a lot about you in your playing days. But you know, your mom, like my mom, wasn't so hip on you playing football when you first started. Tell me a little bit about that story. Yeah, you know, my mom uh, grew up in a very religious family, um, so for her, sports was was literally the antichrist. I mean, I mean, it, <laughs> I it was like it was no joke. I mean, that that stuff is a devil because every, anything that kept you away from from serving God, in her opinion, was um, not her opinion. The church's opinion was was the antichrist, and and um, so I mean, we had some real serious conversations about this uh, when I wanted to start playing at 12 and 13. And basically, she said I couldn't play. But my dad would always sign the paper. So and she never <laughs> knew I was playing until I really got to high school, you know. But, and then still in high school, she made you play in the band. Well, I was in a marching band my, my freshman year. Um, so, I, so I played freshman football, but I was in a marching band. So when I made the varsity team my sophomore year, she still thought that I was in the marching band. And then, you know, crazy me, scored a couple touchdowns and got my name in the newspaper. And her friends called like, oh, Timmy's in the paper. And and the devil's got a hold of Timmy. So, I mean, we had a conversation to have. But I was like, he he signed the paper. It was poor that my dad. So, so well, I'm glad he that he did. For me. Yeah. Now, you know, it, it's interesting because you and I both know because of the work that we've done that sometimes when we're doing things that may seem unaligned with being of service, we end up being at the highest level of service no because doubt. we have a platform. No doubt. And no doubt. at what age did you kind of realize, wow, you know, this football it may or may not be my end-all career, but it certainly is a platform for me to be of service, and I'm actually helping my mom and living and trying to please her. Man, let me tell you something. I mean, that was really something, and I talk about this in my book, that I struggle with, um, you know, all through my 20s because, you know, I'm – 
winning Heisman's, going to Pro Bowls, <clears throat> you know, leading the league in receptions, you know, a couple years, you know. Great returner. 26. You Scoring know, touchdowns. It, you know, you know, so I'm thinking I'm doing everything I need to do. And and I, I had a real issue because of how I grew up, you know, and, you know, everything my, my mom, my pastor would say to me, God is putting you in this place for a reason. And I was like, yeah, for me to score touchdowns. <laughs> You're right. Make <laughs> money and score touchdowns. Exactly. You know, I've have been all there. the women I want, you know. Yeah. You know and, and that's just how I thought. And I can remember, man, you know, when I was 26, 27, doing everything that I was doing, that in the middle of the night or early in the morning or late at night, I was just almost haunted by, you know, what I was supposed to be doing. And it's like God was saying to me, oh, you know, you think that you got yourself in this position. You know, <laughs> I, was, I was reminded that how, you know, I went to a high school that was 425 and one, my three years on varsity, that the only reason Notre Dame saw me is because <clears throat> they came to recruit another kid from another school, and I just happened to go off. I scored four, four touchdowns. touchdowns. Right. <laughs> Never scored four touchdowns in 27 no years. No coincidences, but right? Yeah. But, so I was literally been reminded of all this stuff. Oh, you, you, you became the first receiver to win the Heisman, but you think it's you. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the problem we're having here? Yeah. I, and my so. favorite book, Surrender Experiment, because I sat at 32 years old, multimillionaire, Ferrari Porsche, be- you see my beautiful family, and Rancho Santa Fe. And I lied in bed, I built this home, and I had the same epiphany. You know, like, wait a second, I'm empty. Right, right. Wait, maybe I'm not so talented. And I, you know, and I surround myself with the wrong people and the wrong ideas, went away. And the only one that saved me was my wife because she told me a simple thing. She said, one, I'm not happy. Two, take stock in who you were. Because my wife didn't know me since the fourth grade. Mm. And she kept saying, you're not paying attention, you're not being grateful, you're not being forgiving. You're not being accountable. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're not living an inspired life. Wow. Right. And, yeah. and I'm listening, but I have that everything's going great because we have lots of money. That's right. And, That's I, right. and I, I literally right. at one time told my wife, and you probably had this philosophy, I, she was mad at me. And I said, look around you. <laughs> like, I literally <laughs> right, said right, that. I'm like, right, right, what are you right, talking right. about? You're right. not happy. Yeah. Look around you. Yeah. And yeah. she said, you're lost. Right. And right. sure enough. Uh, God gave me a great lesson, right? He took yeah. everything away from me. Well, yeah, yeah, and and that's a lesson you don't want to learn. Yeah, but no. uh, but sometimes it takes that, you know. And and for me, you know, I mean, finally, when I decided to, you know, let me change my life, let me live the life that God wants me to live. Uh, my wife and I was having this conversation just last night because she was talking about how ultra conservative I am. Yeah. And I said, well, you do, you may need to have a conversation with a couple of my boys because, you know, she doesn't believe I used to go to parties. She doesn't believe I used to hang out. She doesn't believe right. I used to curse people out. She, cause right. she's, she hasn't, she's never seen That's that. not the guy she fell in love right? with. And, uh, but, you know, my point to her was that when I changed, I wanted to, you know, I wanted people to see that I have changed. I mean, the things I used to say and do, I, I don't do anymore. And, I, and that's for a reason. But but still with that, man, you know, I was 32, 33 years old. I can remember the first time somebody said I may make the Hall of Fame. And that was at the beginning of the year. By the end of the year, I had a good year. So the guy was basically saying, oh, you're definitely going to make the Hall of Fame. And I can remember going, yeah, you know, all right. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? And man, in prayer one night, just as clear as day, it scared me. It was so clear. I mean, it was like, I don't have you here just to make the Hall of Fame. I have you here so you can reach men. And, man, I got off my knees fighting. Hey, hey, I need to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, I got a thumb that does this. I got a shoulder that pops out. I got a levinous scar on my knee from that surgery I had back in 89. I need to be in the Hall of Fame. And over the next couple of weeks, man, I was just reminded of, you know, a brother coming, a young brother coming to me in the league, you know, uh, in in a locker room and asking me a question. 
about, you know, hey, how was it when you got in the league? Uh, you know, how did you deal with this? But it just allowed me to tell my story, you know, of how I used to be this way and now I'm this way. And these guys were like, they like my wife, like, I don't believe that. Right. Timber, I don't believe you should curse the coaches out, <laughs> curse the referee. I don't believe that, Timber. I don't believe that. You know right. what I mean? But so I was, I realized what God was doing. He was allowing me to stay around, you know, and the only way you're going to stay around, you got to play good football. Yeah, yeah. If they hate you, otherwise you're going to be kicked out. Yeah, for <laughs> but sure. But he was allowing me to stay around so I can show all these young brothers. You know, I, I got a I got a, a letter from uh, Namdi Amsawa. I got a letter from him. I share my Lakers seats with Namdi. Oh, is that right? Yeah, with Diane Cannon. So we split That's half funny. seats with Diane. Great That's guy. Funny. Great guy. I, I got a letter from him last summer, and he said to me, he was a picture of his two kids. And one kid had my jersey on, and one kid has had his jersey on. And he said to me, I just want to thank you for showing me the way. Uh, because of you, I know what it uh, means to be a to to live this life the proper way. I mean, I I, I was done. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was on the floor crying the whole deal because I realized, man, if you just be patient and listen to what the man is saying, that you know, you know, things will work out for you. you know? Yeah. Tell me a, a little bit about your son in a conversation that you may have had for the whole family. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. I. Um, how old is he? He is fifteen now. Okay. Uh, at this time, he was twelve. Yeah. Um, and. Um, of course, it was my sixth year being up for the Hall of Fame, and I finally make it. So after Baker, Dave Baker leaves the room, you know, I, you know, call my mom, of course, call the family, and everybody's screaming and yelling. And somebody made the the comment that, well, you should have been in years ago. And I repeated you and the a lot of other people, yeah, right, right. <laughs> and I repeated the comment. You know, I was like, yeah, you're right. I probably should have been in years ago, right? And, uh, and I was sitting on the bed, and he just sat right next to me, let me finish the conversation, and he said to me, he said, Dad. Um, think about this. If you would have gone in six years ago, me and he has a twin sister, Marmar. He said, me and Marmar wouldn't understand what this is all about. But now we do. Wow. <laughs> so uh-huh. I, I felt like such a hill, man. That's, Here I am thinking about me. Once again, you know, who, who's you in know, control? Right, right, right. What lessons but, are here? Yeah, now I have I have kids. All my kids understand exactly what their dad has accomplished. They know, and I don't have to explain to them. What, this is what dad, you know, they know exactly what this is all about. And, you know, um, it just showed, it was just, you know, uh, 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 another piece of selfishness, man, that you knew that you had to get, get rid of, you know. All right. Uh, as we get to the last question, and I know, this is important. You know, it's a legacy question, which is I know any faith-based person successful like yourself wants to leave a legacy. If you could give one gift to humanity, what would that gift be? Man, look, I, I, I just believe that we're all here for one reason, and that's to worship worship God. And, um, um, you know, we were laying in bed this morning looking at TV and things were coming on and um, I think there was a, I won't mention a young lady's name, but she is <clears throat> in and out of sobriety. Mm-hmm. You know, she, you know, cocaine, you know, she, she solves the cocaine problem. Then she is alcohol, then it's pills and she's searching. She's just searching and she's searching in all the wrong places. And not one time have you ever heard her mention, and she's a very popular young lady, um, you know, I'm trying to serve God. Or I'm, I'm going to serve God. Or I'm going to do because, you know, people have to realize that once you really say, I am going to live for him, then that means, you know, it's like I told my wife, you don't ever have to worry about me doing certain things because I'm going to always love God more than I love you. You know, because when you make me mad, I can't go out and do something crazy just because because my 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 um, my love is here. 
you know, with, with, with Christ. And, you know, so, I mean, my thing and, and the thing that I try and get over, and I, I'm not a, you know, I'm not somebody that's going to beat somebody over the head with the Bible. Yeah. When opportunity comes up, I take it. I'm yeah. never going to pass on the opportunity, but, um, you know. Try every, interviewing Ray Lewis. Oh, God. He, yeah, he, he's like, a Bible thumper. Yeah, but I, lo- I loved it, man. I, except for when he he's, leaned over and he's, Dave, he's he grabbed my leg. I'm like, oh, my goodness, because he has something going through him right now. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, I put scriptures out every day on, on my social media sites or whatever, but, um uh, you know, because I think it's important to people to realize, man, all your help is right there in the Bible. You know, and I all my hashtag is read the Bible. Hell is real. You know, what I mean, um, because I believe that, um, you know, that's the answer to, you know, to all your issues, uh, because once you turn it over to Christ, he's going to solve your issue. It may like you said earlier, it may not happen overnight. Because he wants you to go through stuff, you know, so when you get that at the end, you can say, man, you know, wow, I really sacrificed. So, you know, uh, you're you're a much stronger person. But uh, that's where I am. And, and, uh, you know, I I say in my in my book and I said in my Hall of Fame speech at the end, at the end of my day, you know, I want my kids to say that uh, my dad was a great person. He was a great football player and all that stuff. But the most important thing for him was for, for us to serve God. And that's that's the legacy that I want to live. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, I hope I never back off that. If I do, then <laughs> you got to know there's a problem with me. Yeah. Uh, but um, that's where I am at this particular point, man, because, I mean, Christ and God has been so good to me. And, you know, all the things that, um, you know, businesses and things of this nature that, that I'm involved in and how doors are opening that, you know, I can't open by myself. I get that. You know, my wife is looking to be a little funny right now because I got some stuff going on that's that's pretty unique unique and <laughs> she's starting to see you know after all the struggles with businesses you know she's starting to see the the doors open and uh and it's it's pretty wild how they're opening but you know i, I just believe is is because of who you are and who you serve yeah it's amazing you're an overnight except success after 30 years of challenges um i really appreciate you taking the time it is your anniversary so i want to say happy anniversary and you are blessed to have your mother and your wife like me uh, leading the way and allowing things to happen for us no doubt congratulations appreciate you both thank you man all right dave Meltzer, ceo of sports one marketing here with the incredible tim brown on entrepreneur the playbook Welcome back to The Blender. Jason Ren and Dave Meltzer. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Tim Brown. Uh, really good dude. And uh, good to hear him on. And uh, one of those guys that I root for him, even though I don't root for the Fight Irish. <laughs> I, I'm with you. He's a great guy. All right. I was in Vegas this past weekend, and the winter meetings were starting up. And uh, I work with the Angels, and we, we had people out there, and there's a lot of stuff going on at, at the hotel. I was actually at the, the Delano, which is close associated with the Mandalay Bay, which is where the winter meetings are at. So I was starting to run into some people this past weekend, including some of Scott Boris's people who uh, maybe should have uh, gotten a little less loose-lipped um, as they were getting prepared for the show but or for the uh, winter meetings. But Scott Boris has been working to get Bryce Harper uh, a lot, a lot of money, and he's out there looking for a deal of 10 years, $300 million. Uh, Scott Boris, who is famous for putting together um, mystery teams and large contracts and, and putting together things that, that really sell his client. Uh, tell me about some of those. When, when you were back, you didn't have to sell Troy Aikman or Warren Moon. Right. But you know, was there somebody you feel ever felt like you went into a negotiation and you made them a ton of money because of your preparation? Well, I think it was Steve Young taking over for Joe Montana. Uh, and it wasn't me. It was Lee. Uh, complete genius. But Lee, I remember him calling... Two in the morning, got thrown out 
of Eddie DeBartolo's office. Uh, Lee was trying to restructure the entire cap and figure out how they could afford Steve Young and uh, got thrown out of the office. And Steve Young literally was in tears crying to Lee at 2 in the morning, looking at Lee going, Lee, you F this up. You know, you like completely d- distraught. And Lee looked at him with those pierced blue eyes and just said, if you don't have a deal by 9 a.m., then fire me. And by 9 a.m., he had the biggest deal in the NFL. Steve Young took over for Joe Montana, and the rest is history. He won Super Bowls and MVPs. And I just Beat the ne- Chargers, actually. Yeah, unfortunately. But I will never forget Lee with veins of steel just knowing that he has provided more value than he was asking for, and he collectively, creatively came up with the finances. So he came up with that famous closing line that he taught me, can you see any reason you won't want to move forward? And Eddie said, nope, I think we got it. And by 9 a.m. All right, there you go. That's a jewel from uh, Dave Meltzer to Steve Young. Lee Steinberg mixed in. Uh, thank you for listening. This has been The Blender. You can find uh, Dave on Instagram at David Meltzer. I'm at Jason M. Brennan. Thank you for listening. See you next week.